welcome to Vikings Happy Hour, where we mix our favorite beverage and talk of your Minnesota Vikings. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of Vikings Happy Hour. I am your quasi-host for the evening, Tyler Fornes, and with me are Climbing the Pockets, Ryan Ortega, and the Draft Network's Jordan Reed. Gentlemen, how are we doing today? I'm good, man. It's a pleasure being here. Thanks for you guys having me. Doing great. Enjoying a Modelo here for happy hour and excited to talk football with uh, you, Tyler, and JR. Wait, Ryan, it's not an angry inch today? I couldn't get down there today. It's too busy with the kids and stuff this evening, so we had to, we had to just stick to what was in the fridge. Fair enough. Kids are always more important. I got me a uh, Crown Royal Kentucky Mule. And Jordan, you you got anything uh, by your side tonight? I'm trying to get as much caffeine as I can right now, honestly. So um, get as much water in me too, as well. Long nights, early mornings. You guys know how this how it goes this time of year. Oh, absolutely! This is absolute crunch time, and we will uh, kind of get started here talking about the Vikings at 14. There's been a lot of discussion, kind of going back and forth. And Jr., I kind of want to hear your thoughts. Uh, Edge rusher, offensive uh, tackle, uh, going in on the interior, which everybody knows that that, that is my favorite position in the league. Uh, kind of, what do you think is the best route for them, and what do you think they're actually going to do? Because this draft can go so many different ways for the purple and gold. Yeah, and you guys raise an interesting point of where uh, I think this is the first year in a long time of where there's a lot of different directions of where the Vikings could go. A couple of years ago when they selected Garrett Bradbury, we knew that they were going to go interior somehow, some way, and they ended up selecting Bradbury. And then last year we knew they had to get a receiver to replace Diggs and then also a corner just because they lost their top three guys in Wayne's Rhodes and then also Mackenzie Alexander at the time when he went to Cincinnati. So we kind of had an idea of what they could do. Uh, so this is the first year in a while. I think there's a lot of different directions that they could go. I think the obvious two, though, are offensive tackle and then edge rusher just because we don't know what they're going to do at left tackle right now. Uh, they could slide Brian O'Neill over to the left side or they could opt to leave him on the right side and then they bring in a rookie. If I had to guess right now, I think they would transition O'Neill over to the left tackle spot just because I would be a little bit hesitant as far as trotting a rookie out there to protect the, the blind side of Kirk Cousins considering how important he is. So if I had to guess, I think they would probably slide O'Neal over to the left side or even if they slide Ezra Cleveland out to left tackle. There's a lot of different ways that they could go, but they've done a really good job of protecting, uh, staying close to the best as far as what their draft strategies are going to be, just because you don't want to reveal or show your hand, just because at 14, we know that's definitely a premium pick inside of the top 15. There's a lot of good players that they could go, but also edge rusher is really intriguing as well. They have a select in the edge rusher in the top two rounds since Erasmus James in 2005. And we know how catastrophic that draft class was, especially early on there. So I think the difference between that, though, um, is that the Vikings have really never had a need at edge rusher as far as immediate. They've always had those top two guys, whether it was Everson Griffin and Brian Robinson or Daniil Hunter and Everson Griffin at the time. They've always even going back to Jared Allen in his heyday as well. So they've never had an immediate or urgent need at edge rusher. And it's a little bit different this year. And I know they brought back Steven Weatherly, but I think they're probably going to treat him more as more of your three, your third or fourth guy. Uh, so that second guy opposite of Daniil Hunter, that's a big question mark for them right now. But if I had to guess, 
Um, I would say it's offensive tackle right now just because of how rich the class is early on. But you also can make an argument for them going edge rusher early on, especially considering how precipitous of a drop off it is after I would say like um, day two. I think there's a huge drop off in edge rushers after that point. Yeah, and I, I completely agree. And one of the things I found interesting is when I was putting together my board is I have nine guys who are slotted between round two and round three as far as edge rushers. So for me, it feels like there's a giant glut of quality players, but maybe not necessarily great ones where offensive tackle, it feels like you need a starter uh, from what, rounds one through even into round three. Uh, what would be the smartest route for the Vikings to go considering where we're sitting with how deep or not necessarily deep these two classes are? Well, for me, I think they're an obvious trade back candidate unless somebody just takes a huge tumble, or whether it's a quarterback or, you know, even a wide receiver. Uh, I think that's something that shouldn't be off the table for them. And even though they haven't been super aggressive with addressing that third wide receiver spot, they've kind of patchworked it in a sense with guys like Tajay Sharp and Chad BB and, you know, BC Johnson in a sense when he came on his rookie year. So if a guy like a Devonta Smith or Jalen Waddle does fall to 14, I don't think that should be off the table for them. But if it were me, I would take an edge rusher at 14 just so I can, so I can secure my guy. I would like to trade back maybe to the late teens or early twenties to get somebody like a Jalen Phillips or Aziz Ojolari or somebody like that, or even a Quidi Pay if he's there. I think any of those guys would be really good fits for them in the 18 to 23 to 24 range if that's the if that's the area or the route that they want to go, just because we know Rick Spielman wants to find a way to recoup that second pick. We know he's he's been kind of hesitant as far as addressing the Yannick and Gakwe trade. We all know that he's kind of regretting it a little bit just because just think about the core of this team. All of it was found in the second round. Eric Kendricks, Dalvin Cook, um, and plenty of other players. Brian O'Neill is another player that they found in the second round. So Brian or Rick Spielman is really good with finding the second round talent. And he's very confident in that area. That seems to be his comfort zone. So he wants to find a way to recoup that second round pick. He just have to he just has to find the team that is willing to, you know, trade their second round pick. Um, the one team I think they could target is Jacksonville at 25. They have two second round picks. Maybe they want to um, help them recoup that second round pick and, you know, do a deal with them again for the for the Ngakwe trade. So um, that's just my spill on that. But if it were me, I definitely would be looking hard to trade back. Absolutely, Absolutely. agree. I'm going to kick what... it to Ryan. I'm yeah, gonna yeah, yeah. Sorry, Ryan Tyler, to cut you off there. Um, no, so looking at offensive tackles here. So I obviously we're all big fans of yours, JR. So we were reading your mocks every single time that they come out. And I would say more often than not, you have us taking Elijah Vera Tucker. Um, and, uh, I, I think that the, the importance here is trying to get a tackle if we're going to go first round. I know Tyler and I are both big, you know, no, no guards in the first, unless maybe you tr- trade back late into late first. Um, do you think Elijah Vera Tucker is a tackle? I, I personally see him best at guard. Um, I'm not even sure if I would, I mean, obviously you try him at tackle just given the fact that he had some success there last year, but, um, but I, I see his his career more trending at guard. So do you think that that's worth the 14th pick that like you've mocked us at uh, multiple times here? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I mean, I had huge question marks about him coming into the year as far as if he could survive at tackle just because his film was so good at left guard the past two years. But he really proved me wrong. Uh, and I know he's not a super lengthy guy, but as far as the athleticism, uh, the nastiness that he plays with, the athleticism, uh, the lower half, 
uh, just the smarts that he plays with as well. I think he could survive at tackle, but of course you want that long-term option. And I think Vera Tucker can be that, but is there, there's going to be a trial and error period with him there. But once again, do you want that protecting the backside of your Kirk Cousins, of Kirk Cousins? And what I'm thinking at 14, you definitely have to take him at tackle just because that's, that's a premium position. You want to try him out at tackle, but once again, do you want a player that's going to be a little bit of a project there early on? I think he'll be fine at tackle, honestly, but I think his ceiling, like you said, Ryan, is much higher at guard. But if you take a player that early inside of the top 15, you want him playing that premium position like an offensive tackle. So whenever I mock Vera Tucker 14 to the Vikings, I envision him playing left tackle just because we all know we all know about positional value. You don't want to take an interior offensive lineman that early. You're just not getting the best bang for your buck there. But with me, if I'm taking AVT at 14, I'm going to put him at left tackle. Fair Absolutely. enough, my man. There's uh, one question in the comments from Tanishka who asked if Ojolari fits us, and it's something that I'm curious about too because it doesn't feel like when watching Ojolari play that he's going to fit the Zimmer mold at edge, kind of a little bit of a smaller guy. Um, how do you think that he would translate, and is that a guy that Zimmer would at, want to target this high in the draft? Yeah, I mean, you have to remember that he's only a redshirt sophomore, too. Very young prospect. Uh, we really haven't seen him really scratch the surface of what he can be. And I know Georgia used him in a plethora of different roles. He can play He can play 3-4 outside linebacker. He also can put his hand in the dirt as well. Go watch him against Alabama. I mean, he, him and Alex Leatherwood had a really nice back-and-forth battle of where he primarily had his hand in the dirt. So they were kind of experimental with him. But I think he can put his hand in the dirt. But once again, you talk about versatility, a player that can play standing up or he can play with his hand in the dirt. We don't really know, honestly, what he can do just because we've only seen him one year, really, uh, primarily in that starting role. But the times we have seen him with his hand in the dirt, I think he's looked just fine. So it's just a matter of scheme fit. But does he fit the Vikings? I definitely think he can. Are there better fits? Absolutely. But as far as, you know, molding the scheme around him and then just trusting Andre Patterson to really develop him with his hand in the dirt. I definitely think he can do that. All right. Very good. Very that, good. Yeah. That's, you're uh, that's you're good down in North Carolina, Jordan. So I'm sure you're hearing a little bit, uh, you know, Panther chatter here. And I think the most recent uh, news was that they're open or that they're willing to trade back um, from eight. And I know it's been kind of a hot button topic on Vikings Twitter. And, and I think, you know, most of us here at Climb in the Pocket would be very interested in this. What are your thoughts on us potentially trading up for a quarterback uh, if, you know, Trey Lance or Justin Fields falls? Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. It's something I've went back and forth with. Um, if I had to guess, I don't think it would happen just because of the situation with Kirk Cousins. And I know he has the big cap number coming up in 2022, but I think they have faith in Kirk right now. Um, I just don't see a situation of where they would trade up. Now, will they get the itch to trade up? Uh, if like a Justin Fields or a Trey Lance does fall, I think they would. But are they going to be urgent about it? I just don't see it happening. They have much more pressing needs, in my opinion. I think offensive tackle, of course, is the big one right now. And them not having a second round pick, I think that's going to hurt them a lot as far as trying to trade up to. And you mentioned Justin Fields, Jordan, and one of the things that came out today was that he has been dealing with uh, some on, onset epilepsy that is kind of run in his family and has something that his family members have grown out of. So just with the limited information we have as, a, as an analyst, an evaluator, and a former football coach, and a former quarterback, 
Like, what is your general opinion on Justin Fields and how you would evaluate him differently, if at all? And that's the tough part, Tyler. You know this, too, from a media standpoint of where we don't always have access to the medicals. All we can really go about is just what people are tweeting or, you know, what people are putting out there. So I didn't know anything as far as fields with the epilepsy situation that's going on with him. So all I can do is just evaluate, evaluate what he's put on film. And he's quarterback, too, for me right, right now. I think he's the best quarterback behind Trevor Lawrence. And, you know, I don't know his situation. Of course, I don't have access to the medicals. But if we're just going strictly based off what he's put on film, if he falls to, let's say, 10 or 11 or even if eight, if he's there at eight, I definitely would get the itch to trade up. I think he's very talented. and I think he has one of the highest ceilings of any quarterback in this draft. Just needs to be coached up a little bit. As far as I think he, tried, he tries to be a little bit too perfect in his progressions. Uh, sometimes he's required to go to his first, second, or even third, fourth, or even fifth option. Sometimes it's okay. He needs to learn to skip one and two just based off some pre-snap stuff. He's, he's a little bit robotic as far as always trying to go from that first through fifth step, which was how it was taught in the progression. Sometimes it's okay to skip step one or step two. So that's something that he needs to work on a little bit. But as far as the upside, I think it's phenomenal. And I agree. He, he finished tied with Trey Lance for my QB2. And that Clemson tape was some of the – just most filthy tape I think I've ever watched just how he surgically carved him up and was able to come back from breaking those ribs uh, in the second quarter and just uh, chuck bombs. It was, it was really impressive and really cool to see that extra fire from any competitor. And I absolutely love his game. Ryan, do you have anything else for uh, Jordan kind of talking round one before we kind of move on here to talk some day two, day three guys? You know, I think uh, I think I'm good there. I was going to just mention, you know, hypothetically, if we do uh, trade back into the first round, let's just say we trade back. I don't know with the Redskins or, you know, Colts or something. And we take Jalen Phillips. You had mentioned you wanted to maybe go get your guy at edge. What are some of those offensive tackle or guard prospects in the second and or third round that uh, really intrigue you? Yeah, there's quite a few guys in the second round that I think fit the mold of what the Vikings have looked for. So, of course, the first thing that you have to look for is athleticism. I think that's something that they really covet, especially when we're talking about inside the top 60 picks. And Brian O'Neill really started this trend a couple of years ago, and then they kept that trend going last year with Ezra Cleveland. And so they look for these raw guys that they really can mold and hope to turn into starters by their second year. And I'll admit I was completely wrong about Brian O'Neill. I had a third round grade on him and I just wasn't confident that he was going to be able to turn in to something that we've seen today. And it's, it's a bit of a slippery slope when you're talking about these athletic offensive tackles. And Colton Miller is a great example. I learned a lot from him. You know, you guys know, being fans of the draft, the backlash that the Raiders got when they selected him over Derwin James a couple of years ago. But I learned that you really have to see prospects from what I like to call a microscopic view and also a telescopic view as well. So you really have to be able to see them what they are right now from a microscopic view, but then also see them from a telescopic view as far as the long term as well. So guys like Samuel Cosme from Texas, he's one that I think could go somewhere in the top 50 if they want to trade back from 14 and recoup a pick. He definitely fits the mold of what they look for from that athletic profile. Brady Christensen from BYU. There's another guy. He's a bit of an older rookie. He'll be a 24-year-old rookie, but very athletic, very good. Pass protection needs to gain some strength. I think his strength levels can, could go up significantly as he continues to progress. Uh, Dylan Radance from North Dakota State is another name that I think is going to fit in their wheelhouse, whether it's at left guard or left tackle. He performed really well, primarily at left tackle, had 36 career starts when he was at NBSU. 
uh, after he tore the ACL his freshman year, came back and played really well. Um, and then went down at the senior bowl and primarily played left guard. And he checked a lot of boxes for a lot of evaluators there. And then the last name that I give you that I think they're going to be very high on that we'll see go earlier than expected. His name is Spencer Brown from Northern Iowa, uh, a big time player from there. Um, he actually, uh, their season got canceled last year and there was a lot of FBS teams that wanted him to transfer, but he ended up not transferring. He stayed put and just sat out the year uh, after it got canceled, but supremely athletic started off his career as a tight end there, former basketball player, really interesting story. So he definitely fits into the wheelhouse of what they have looked for. I think he could go as early as the second round as well. Yeah, I, I love all those guys. And when you kind of take a look at their just athletic testing, it, it makes too much sense as far as why they would be targets for the Vikings. As far as Brady Christensen goes, being an older, older prospect, it's kind of unique in comparison to somebody like Dwayne Eskridge, who went to Western Michigan and played his entire career, whereas Brady Christensen ended up doing that two-year Mormon mission. As far as an evaluation standpoint, because he has two years away from football as a 24-year-old, how does that factor into the fact that he is an older prospect in your eyes? I honestly don't think it's an on-the-field thing, Tyler. I think it's more of a contractual thing. And what I mean by that is we always talked about Daniil Hunter, of how everybody brings up how young he was. And really, he's going to be able to sign three contracts with the Vikings. With Christensen, he's probably going to be lucky to get – uh, that third contract is because of how old he is. So let's say he does live out the life of his rookie contract. He'll be about 28 years old or 29 years old. After that, he's going to sign that second deal. And that's probably all you're going to get out of him once, however long that second deal is. But a younger prospect, like say, I know we're not going to get him. He's going to go way before us. But Panay Sewell, a player that's going to be 20 years old when he enters the league, once he's done, if they extend that fifth year option, he's going to be 25 years old. After that, he's going to be 30, and then you're going to get, by the end of that third contract, he's going to be 35 years old. So it's more of a contractual thing and getting more bang for your buck as opposed to uh, on the field standpoint. We've seen a lot of uh, we've seen a lot of these guys test off the charts this year. Um, and in the past, we've seen a couple of prospects not test so well, but then still come into the league and play very well. Uh, a couple of guys that come to mind for me are like Orlando Brown, uh, Jordan Fuller, um, it's another one I'm missing. But, you know, how much does those athletic testing really make a difference in your evaluation as a as an analyst versus just game tape and trusting what your eyes are telling you on the field? Yeah, so without the combine this year, it definitely was really difficult just because you're going off different pro day numbers. Some people are all over the place as far as the testing. You don't know what the official numbers are. But I've always said you should use testing really to confirm or deny what you saw on tape. So if a guy ends up running a, a 4-4-40 and then you see that on tape, you say, OK, he, he definitely is. The speed shows up. Uh, on the field as well as in the testing as well. But if a player doesn't test as well, they're not as good in three cone and then they struggle uh, been in the arc. I know Ryan is going to break your heart, but Ronnie Perkins is a great example that I like to use, even though he didn't perform in the three cone. There is a reason that I think he didn't perform in the three cone. I, I always think when the player isn't trying to, or they're trying to hide something from evaluators, they don't necessarily perform in it. He did everything else, but the three cone, but that was my big worry with him. If him bending the arc, getting low, and really just being able to shave off the apex of the pocket when cornering to the quarterback. So you really just use those things to confirm or deny what you saw on what you saw on tape. 
Well, and that's an interesting point because, you know, one of the things that didn't really show up on tape as much uh, for another one of my guys, Creed Humphrey, is that athletic profile that he that he showcased. So it's kind of the opposite effect here. Um, so I guess, you know, it was my back way into this question of, you know, if Creed Humphrey's sitting there, let's say, you know, late second round and we had traded back up, um, is that a guy that maybe we'd consider to play guard with? you know, maybe some sort of intention of maybe moving him to center if Bradbury continues to falter? Oh, without question. Uh, I'm a big fan of Creed Humphrey. It wouldn't even surprise me if he goes in the first round, honestly. If I'm the Pittsburgh Steelers at 24, I would heavily think about it, especially if you're looking for a successor, the Pouncey. I think that's a pick that makes a ton of sense, depending on how high you are on Humphrey. But if he's there for the Vikings in the second round, if they end up recouping some picks, I, I think that would be a home run selection for them just because not only do you have an answer at left guard, but let's say that Bradbury doesn't end up working out or if he doesn't, if he isn't able to take that next step in his development. Now you have your center that could take over for him. And we all know that we're fans of taking guards or interior offensive linemen primarily on day two or day three. Now you can find maybe that long-term solution somewhere later on in the draft. Absolutely. And uh, Ryan knows I love Creed Humphrey. Uh, but one guy I want to talk about is uh, Oklahoma State's Tylen Wallace. And I know your colleagues at the Draft Network, uh, Trevor and Ben, uh, have mentioned this a lot. And it's really got me thinking about how I evaluate. Uh, do the traits match the skills? And I know watching Tylen Wallace, he's he kind of plays like an alpha, but he doesn't look athletically superior in any way. And then he goes out and runs a, like a, a 4 4 4 or something like that, where he just looks he, he tested way faster than his play speed. I know we kind of talked about, you know, wanting the testing to match what you see on film, but when you see something like that that's a little abnormal, that's like, whoa, uh, that's way faster than he looked. How does that impact how you evaluate and where you would slot a guy? Because it's something that I've been having some difficulty with. Yeah, and that's a really good point. I think he's a billboard example of a player that you really just have to evaluate the traits. And what I mean by that is he played in an offense of where he wasn't really able to show off a lot of what he was able to do. So with Wallace, he primarily played only on the right side. Uh, a lot of releases or what I like to call um, MORs, which is just mandatory outside releases. So you really don't get to see him um, really exemplify a lot of things as far as creativity at the line of scrimmage, just because they threw to the slot a lot in that offense if it wasn't down the field. So he had to do his best of creating separation uh, with just taking those mandatory outside releases. Sometimes he would get pushed all the way out of bounds, but that is what he was schemed to do. But if you're just looking at it from the naked eye or the bird's eye view, you're like, man, this dude can't get off press. He's just getting pushed out of bounds. But that's what he was required to do. But then he goes down to the senior bowl. You're seeing him very creative with his lower half, using his hands to get off press just because now he's outside of that scheme and he can just really show off his skill set of what he can do. So um, Justin Herbert really taught me a lot about this last year of that. You really just have to evaluate the traits and not really worry about the scheme that they're playing and you just kind of detach the player from the scheme that they're in just because sometimes these coaches just don't want to win a football game. They're not really caring about what these guys are, what's best for them on the next level just because they want to win games as much as they can, just because that that's what's putting food on their table. They don't really care how Justin Herbert or Tylen Wallace, how well he does on the next level. But if they do do well on the next level, of course, they're going to take a lot of credit for that just because they felt as if they groomed them. But as far as the system, and catering the system around them as far as, you know, their potential on the next level. They're not really worried about that. Their scheme is their scheme. 
Um, and that makes complete sense. It's uh, I absolutely love watching his film, and I'm excited to see where he goes. And probably my favorite player in the class, Jordan, is Houston's Peyton Turner. It, his film against BYU, the battle he had with Brady Christensen was just fun. And he he had a tackle on Dax Milne on a reverse where he planted his foot like Reggie Bush against Fresno State and just exploded off of it and caught him. Like, what do you do with a guy like Peyton Turner with those long vines for arms and his ability to play a successful three technique, but also possibly having the flexibility to play outside linebacker? Where is his best fit in the NFL? Well, the interesting thing about Turner is that he actually came into Houston as a defensive tackle. He was about 300 pounds. Uh, he ended up losing the weight. He slimmed down. They changed schemes, and they moved him to primarily a five technique, so he's playing defensive end. But the thing that I love about Turner is he, he has that one quality that you can't coach, which is effort. That dude's effort is nonstop the entire game. He plays like he has a battery pack in his back and is not losing any notches at all in it. So I, I love that part about his game. I mean, the BYU game was one where he was absolutely phenomenal against Christensen. That was a really good battle. But as far as the role that he can satisfy, I think he needs to get a little bit more creative with his hands. He, he wins a lot off of his energy and his effort. But that's the great thing about it. He has a lot of those translatable traits and also those foundation traits that you love to build upon as well. So I really like him a lot. I'll be surprised if he gets outside of the top 75. Honestly, uh, he has a lot of buzz right now, especially with how well he played on the backstretch of last year, too. And then the senior bowl, he showed a lot of impressive qualities, too. So I like Peyton Turner a lot. I think if the if the Vikings want to use one of those third round picks on him, I think it would be a home run selection for them. Let Andre Patterson get his hands on him. And then you already know he's going to be one of the most energetic defensive players that you have on that side of the football, which is something, again, that you can't coach. Absolutely. And that is, that is music to my ears. He is, uh, he is probably my biggest draft crush I've ever had since the, the days of Randy Moss and Percy Harvin. Uh, Ryan, what do you got for the man uh, talking some like day two guys? Yeah, well, I guess this is kind of day two, day one. Um, so obviously every year there's a surprise pick that goes way earlier than we expect. Uh, last year, I think it was like Damon Arnett, right, where some people are media, I think, had him more in the second, third round, and and he goes 19 overall or 18 overall. Who's going to – I mean, I know it's kind of a tough question, but like who's going to be that guy that really is just like gets all of us on day one to be like, wow, they took him? That's a really good question. Um a couple guys, Joe Tryon from Washington. He's one guy that the NFL is much higher on than the media is right now. Opted out last year, but fantastic motor, uh, similar to Asai and then also Turner. Uh, he's one of those guys that just plays hard all the time. Very heavy hands, not a super bendy type of player, but he's just reliable, rock solid. You know exactly what you're getting from him in day one. So Joe Tryon definitely is one. Another one is Elijah Moore, the wide receiver from Ole Miss. Uh, he's getting quite a bit of buzz right now, too. So those would be two definites that I think could go a little bit earlier than what a lot of people are expecting. I, I completely agree. And uh, now that you said Elijah Moore, Jason's going to be in my mentions all day tomorrow, just letting me hear it. Uh, <laughs> well, hey, that that's fantastic, man. So kind of want to transition to some more day three guys because we've, we've had a lot of conversation about uh, first round and then even the third round with having the multiple picks. But day four, Day three, we've got four fourth-round picks and then five picks between 119 and 153. Uh, there's a lot of different ways that the Vikings can go with this. And kind of uh, what what it feels like what they end up doing is they take high upside athletes or just guys with massive production. Uh, 
with these picks, do you expect them to make all those that of those first five picks on day three? Or are they going to be using those as like trade commodities to try and move up and down? We know with Rick Spielman, he's probably going to make a million trades. That's why I don't ever get excited when the Vikings pick is coming up, just because you're so deflated with him trading back so many different times. You don't know when he's actually going to turn the card in. So I'd be really surprised if they make all the selections at their their standard pick that they have, their original slot that they do have right now. So there's a lot of intriguing guys or different directions that they could go on day three, though. They could look to take an edge rusher. I think they always look to take the high upside athletic type of player on day three. One guy I think they'll have probably a big red dot beside is Jordan Smith from UAB, a big long edge rusher, about six foot six, 250 pounds, was originally at Florida, uh, was top five, I believe, in the country last year in pressures. Um, more of that athletic mold that you really like to see at the position was really raw right now. But Jordan Smith definitely is one that I think they're going to have a, a, a big mark beside. Um, another one is Deo Oda Yingbo from Vanderbilt. Uh, he's a player that had a significant amount of buzz coming into the process, but he tore the Achilles. But, but he's still going to end up as a top 100 player for me. I think I'm a big fan of him. Go watch him against Alabama. He was all over the place. Again, once again, like a Peyton Turner, Joseph Asai. And then some of the other players that we mentioned, Tryon as well, of where he plays with a lot of effort. But you just don't know with the torn Achilles, that's a big deal, especially when you're talking about a defensive lineman or a football player in general. Torn Achilles is very difficult to come back from. And then the last name I'll give you guys is Damar Hamlin. He's a safety from Pitt. I think he's a player that they're going to be huge fans of. He's one of my sleeper players that I think if somebody's going to get a steal from and on day three, I think he's going to be the Jordan Fuller of this draft that goes much later than what he should have been. Uh, that, that's a good list of players. Uh, that Just uh, like from a perspective of not having all the information, but with Jordan Smith, I know he was involved in that credit card scandal. Uh, from what you know, having conversations with agents, teams, and uh, how much stock do teams put into something like that? Because I believe that happened when he was a freshman, and obviously he's he's th- three, four years older now. Like, is is that something that's a major factor, or is it just talked up to? Hey, you know, it's just a kid making a dumb mistake. Well, once again, Tyler and Ryan, you guys know we don't have access to those guys initially him explaining the situation. So I can't really speak on the severity of that. I haven't talked to Jordan about the issue that happened with him either. So I don't want to misspeak on his behalf or anything like that. So that's just something that scouts and evaluators, I'm sure, have been talking to him about just trying to figure out exactly what happened. And it's not just him. All these prospects that have red flags that ended up transferring elsewhere or if they had a, a hiccup early on in their career or during their career or a red flag of some sorts. That's what all these Zoom meetings are for. It's kind of like speed dating in a sense. You're just really trying to figure out exactly what happened in a sense. So um, I can't really speak on that with Jordan Smith. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So Tyler and I have had a couple debates, Eh, not really debates, just conversations. I should say on mock draft Mondays here, Um, talking quarterbacks day, day two, day three. Right. Uh, So, I'm a Kellen Mond guy. He's not a big Kellen Mond fan. He he, he likes uh, Davis Mills maybe a little bit more than I do, even though I'm a fan. Um, and then you have Kyle Trask out there, which, which you know, kind of that second tier quarterback is, is one of your favorites. Yeah. Um, I would say Mond is probably my favorite right now. I think he has a little bit more upside than what Davis Mills does have right now. It's a really small sample size. 
with Davis Mills, only played in 14 career games, starting in 11. Very talented, though. He has what I like to call the five-star sticker attached to him. So he was a big-time recruit coming in, was the number one recruit in the country. In 2017, he was the number one ranked quarterback, actually ahead of Tua Tungavailoa. So that just goes to speak the type of talent that he had coming into Stanford. But he tore the ACL his senior year, wasn't able to play initially, redshirted. But after that, he really took over the starting position after that. Really good at processing as far as the middle of the field, but as far as outside the numbers and the hashes, that's what you really worry about with him. Really was surprised with how well he ran at his pro day with four five eight. I think that surprised a lot of people. That mobility doesn't really show up consistently on tape, but he can get himself out of harm's way. Uh, he can, you know, navigate some avenues in the pocket and then attack vertically with getting some yardage and gaining some yardage as far as if he wants to scramble outside of the pocket. Very clean thrower of the football, very nice and fluid throwing motion, plays with a strong base as well. Nice over the top release as well. So I really understand the intrigue with him and maybe there's some untapped potential there with him. So I think he's going to go much earlier than what your guys are liking, though. I'll be surprised if he gets out of the second round just because I don't think there's a lot of intriguing day two options outside of Mond, Mills, and then Trask. I think there's a big drop off after those three. And I'll just touch on uh, I'll touch on Mond here. Uh, he, he Real large sample size, 47 career games played, 44 starts as well. I thought he really hit his stride after Jimbo came in there during his sophomore year. He started off with Kevin Sumlin there during his freshman season, but a high elbow type of release. I think he's very robotic as far as his mechanics. I think he has a ways to go with that. Just plays a little bit too uptight. I think he needs to loosen up a bit. Um, Very strong arm, really good with attacking all three levels of the football field as well. Um, But the thing about Mond that I always say is that he's consistently inconsistent. And what I mean by that is if you turn on the tape against Florida and then also Alabama, he looks like a top 50 um, draft pick, but if you turn on the tape against LSU, he looks like an undraftable guy. So you don't really know which Kellamon is going to show up at the game. So you have to figure out a way to just bundle up all of those traits into one, and you're hoping to get that guy that showed up against Alabama and then also Florida, which he was phenomenal against. So just consistently inconsistent is the phrase that I like to use for him. And then with Kyle Trask, a player that you know was in the Heisman talk early on, he was absolutely on fire. Six straight games with four-plus touchdown passes, a litany of weapons around him with Cal Pitts, Kadarius Tony, and then also Trayvon Grimes, who's probably going to be one of the better late-round receivers in this draft class too. But very heavy-footed as far as far as a true traditional pocket pass or more of a, a lobber of the football as opposed to somebody that puts a lot of on for urgency behind the ball when he has to test those tight windows. I think he does struggle a little bit. And then he was bailed out quite a bit by some of the, the perimeter weapons that he did have. And I think a testament to that was the bowl game against Oklahoma when all those guys opted out and he really had to do it on his own. And he really looked lost in that game. So he has to have a litany of weapons around him has to have a full arsenal of protection and he has to have a really good play caller as well. And whenever you're talking about having all of those things around him, you're talking about a mid to late round guy at best. I completely agree. And uh, one thing with Mond that I've been struggling with is that large sample size that you have in having seen him play 47 games. And as you say, he's consistently inconsistent that when you have that large of a sample size at the college level, and versus a Davis Mills, who only has 14 career games played in, and it feels like there's just so much more unknown about the prospect. How do you differentiate having that sample size and expecting him to actually grow from that versus Mills, where you have more unknown and maybe there is that untapped potential because he just hasn't been able to actually tap into it yet? 
Yeah, and that's the tough part about it, especially when you're talking about a player with a large sample size. It's kind of it kind of feels like he kind of bumped his head on the ceiling of what he can be just because of that large sample size. So I'm definitely with you there. I don't really know as far as what he's going to be on the next level just because the NFL is a completely different game. But you talk about a player that's almost played in 50 college games, how much better or how much different is he going to be on the next level? But a guy like Davis Mills, who's only played in 14 career games and showed a lot of promise, maybe there's a lot of untapped potential there. And I can understand why teams have him more highly graded than Mond, just because they're maybe thinking Mond is a bit capped out or he's maxed out of what he could be. No, absolutely. Uh, probably uh, one last thing that uh, that we'll get to before we let you go, Jr. Because we know you're an incredibly busy man with it only one week before the draft. Uh, Vikings trading up for a QB. Like it feels like the fan base would love the Vikings to trade up for a QB. I think uh, we can agree on the fact that we all probably would love for them to trade up and get one of these top four quarterbacks. Uh, is Rick Spielman actually going to be in a position where he's going to? be afforded the luxury to trade up for a quarterback and will he be willing to pull the trigger? I just don't see it happening unless, you know, a guy gets to like 11, 12 or somewhere in that range. Uh, I just don't see him going up to eight to do it, but maybe I'll be proven wrong, but I just think he's fine with Kirk cousins right now. And really just, we'll see how it ends up shaking out after this year. I think he's going to try to find uh, some protection for him. Uh, we know offensive tackle is a huge need. Edge rusher is a huge need as well. I would be really surprised if they go outside of those two positions. And like I said, I would be shocked if they select that poor team. But once again, like I tell you guys all the time, it takes two teams to make a deal. And if he doesn't like uh, what teams are offering, if he wants to slide back a couple slots, I would be shocked if it's not offensive tackle or edge rusher. Very good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, last question I have, and I'd be remiss to not ask because I know you watch all the Oklahoma games. I know that, uh, you know, I'm a big fan. So we already talked Creed Humphrey. You, you mentioned Ronnie Perkins. I'm going to disagree with you on your Ronnie take, but you know, you know, that's just my homerism coming in a little bit. Um, and I know you said I'd be a pill next year if, uh, if we don't take a quarterback about Spencer Radler, which again, I told you we're not going to be bad enough to get the number one pick. So, uh, so I don't think we're going to have to worry about Spencer Rattler. But uh, of the rest of the Oklahoma guys that are in this draft, so we got you know Stevenson, we got Trey Brown, we got Trey Norwood, uh, Adrian Ely. Which one of those guys really intrigued you? Number one, and then number two, do you see Norwood being more of a safety at this uh, at the in the NFL level, or uh, do you think he switches back to corner? I think he probably stays at corner. Uh, I think he has the speed necessary to stay there as well. I was really impressed with him uh, down at the senior bowl. I really liked what he saw, what I saw there. But I think the player that really intrigues me the most is Ramondre Stevenson by far. Uh, I really like his story as well as far as, you know, how he had to earn his keep through the JUCO ranks. Uh, had the suspension early on uh, for the drug test, the thing that happened with him. But I really thought he came on strong and got better as the year went along. And, you know, he's 240 pounds and he ran 4.63, but I think he plays much faster than that. I love what I saw from him in the Florida game. I really thought he hit his stride in the bowl game there. You really saw what he could do. Reminds me a lot of uh, skinny Eddie Lacy and then also LeGarrette Blunt as well. I think he's in the same mold of those guys. So, uh, I think there's a lot of teams that are going to be seeking some mid-round running backs. I think he could be a really good, a really good player for them. I think he's an underrated receiver. I think he's a natural hands catcher of the football too, uh, which is really hard to find, especially in a bigger back. 
Yeah, I'm very impressed with his uh, balance, uh, his balance at contact. I mean, he's a tough guy to get down and and his feet, again, are surprisingly swift for a big guy. And yeah, he can really get moving. I actually, another guy that I saw kind of a comp to him uh, was a, a slightly larger Arian Foster, where a guy who can do a little bit of everything, but great contact balance and had a little bit more get up than like a Lacey or, or a Blunt. So I thought that was an interesting, I, I, I wasn't quite sure to, to, to agree with that comp, but uh, I, I, I liked hearing it because Foster was a good player for a couple of years until those injuries set in. So, Yeah, for sure. Oklahoma has some dudes coming out in 2022. I've already started some early scouting on them. Besides Spencer Rattler, they have some um, really good uh, players coming out next year. They have an edge rusher that I like is going probably going to go very high. Yeah, uh, Oklahoma always ends up having some dues. Well, uh, Jordan, uh, we just want to say thank you for taking the time and uh, spending happy hour with us and just uh, uh, talking some draft. Uh, I know you guys have some really exciting things coming up uh, for over the next week at the Draft Network. What are uh, what are you guys focusing on for the drafts? So we can tell the good people. Yeah, so we have a lot of things going on. Actually, we'll start next Monday. We're actually live telecasting everything on what is called Brinks TV, uh, which is a TV deal that we actually just signed with that company. So we'll have live shows. We'll have prospect interviews actually on the day of the draft. Uh, we're going to have some interviews with guys after they get drafted. I know Kyle Pitts, Jalen Waddle, uh, and then also Trey Lance are going to be joining us after they get drafted. So we're really excited about that. Going to have live pick analysis going to do mock drafts leading up to the draft too. And then we're going to have live podcasts as well. So just follow along at thedraftnetwork.com or the draft network on Twitter. We have a bunch of things, some things that I can't even reveal right now, but as you can, guys can tell though, I'm really excited though. Hey, and we're really excited to see it. Cause obviously you know that we're, we're all big fans of UJR and everything that you guys are doing over at the draft network. So we're, we're thrilled to be able to follow along and, and keep up and, uh, learn a few things, which is, which is my favorite part of the process. Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me. And hopefully we have a new offensive tackle or a shiny new edge rusher this time next week. <laughs> Absolutely. And with that being said, guys, thank you for joining us on this Wednesday night Vikings happy hour, Matt, we hope we did you proud here tonight. And from Jordan and Ryan, I'm Tyler, Dave, let's take it home. Thank you for watching or listening. As always, if you like, subscribe, and ring the bell for notifications. And if you're listening to the podcast, please rate us on your favorite aggregator. Skull, everybody. Oh,